This year's donations might go to, say, the geology department. Oh dear, not the dirt people. Geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. What kind of activity has turned the lake massive? Look, I'm just a geologist. I like rocks. I love rocks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast. My name is Steve. Hey there, everyone. This is Chris. Top of the morning to you. This is Jesse. Oh, there he goes. All right, all right. I was like, why is he doing the awkward pause again? <laughs> Every time. I'm all right Every with it. I love time. it. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Well, I, it's the podcast isn't coming out. Happy belated yeah. St. Patrick's Day, I guess, by the time the, the podcast comes out. Yeah. But- uh, Chris, but, uh, if you worked really hard, you get it out tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all just right. saying, slacker. Uh, the gallery there. You can, you can do the editing next time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to <laughs> Premier Geology Podcast. We have Woo! an action-packed episode for you today. Um, so, little-known fact, and we try to make this a well-known fact, but if you are a certain tier of uh, Patreon sponsor, you get your own podcast totally devoted to you so that's what You're today's devoted is. to your topic your topic <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> devoted to your memory it's like a memorial service this is like a eulogy right <laughs> yeah. stacy was a good lass she yeah. was born in 1958 in rural west virginia <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you thank you for the correction okay well we have a good good friend of the podcast uh maddie is uh well, um, very, um, he's a, he's a, he's a, a Patreon sponsor of ours and he had a request, a very, this is a very special request. All right. This was, uh, this actually involved a lot of research. This wasn't one of the, the, the typical flannel cast research topics where it's, you know, what makes a of, rock a rock. Yeah. yeah okay. Go off, you know, flying by the seat of her pants there. This was, this was, this was, and this was a great, this is a great topic that Maddie asked. So Maddie asked to do a podcast about the origin of life. All right. So obviously this is a very, <laughs> this is a very dense topic, right? Yes. So number one, we're going to try to get it into, Oh, you know, an hour ish hour to hour and a half, um, you know, segment here. And number two, um, it's, it's just super dense, this topic. We, and I was going to say number two is we are, Slightly out of our element as well. Uh, yeah, you're right. We're, we are going out of our comfort zone on this podcast yeah. here. So um, it was I don't fun. know what you're talking about. I'm just going to start reading from the beginning. <laughs> In the beginning. Yeah. Um, no, this was, uh, this, was a great, uh, this was a great topic. Like I said, uh, Maddie kind of pushed us out of our comfort zones for this one. And I'm actually super excited for this one because uh, it's just different. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, we, we are... I, I, we were joking around with Maddie before the podcast. He's on the, he was on the the hangout, the pre hangout before that we started recording, and we're just saying, man, you got three geologists to study biology for a week, man. We <laughs> we don't do this for everybody, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So to all our patreons and or future patreons, pick easier topics, please, <laughs> <laughs> or challenge us. I, I actually did, uh, I did learn a lot just reading some of the background material for this so yeah it's it was fun it was fun this was this was an enjoyable experience doing the research so enough with that let's uh let's dive into this the origin of life so we're going back 
we're going back a ways. All right. So I think, uh, you know, some of the first organisms like that were around that were well-known organisms that were around were, were stromatolites. I think, uh, just kind of even like amateur geologists would, uh, uh know about these guys. They're basically, it's basically a, you know, blue green algae. Um, and they, Stromatolites, we'll talk more about them later on, but this is kind of like a little little bit of foreshadowing, if you may. We'll, we'll start off with a bit of foreshadowing here. Do you, want, do you want me to tell my stromatolite joke? Yeah, go ahead. Tell me your, it was, your it was pretty good. joke. I don't know. I thought it was... What do you say to a dancing stromatolite? What? Nice algorithm. <laughs> I like it. All right. That's all I got. All right. So... Stromatolites were pretty important back in the day. And um, so they're around in pre-Cambrian time. Uh, basically, stromatolites were came around to the scene somewhere between 3.5 and 2.8 billion years ago with a B. Uh, so when they came around, there were some pretty harsh conditions on uh, in the Earth's atmosphere. The air, if I were to take, if I were to take you, the listener, and we jump into a time machine and we go back to Really, anything uh, you know, you go Hadean or uh, Archean. Basically, anything before two billion years ago, it wouldn't be a fun time. It would be if we didn't have spacesuits, you'd, you'd die pretty fast. Uh, the there was there's no free oxygen. That's going to be a huge issue. We're going to talk about um, that's going to be a theme we're going to talk about all throughout this podcast is the lack of the lack of free oxygen that was around during this time, but also. Um, yeah, it was just really, yeah, really harsh conditions. And uh, so. But also, also yeah. these stromatolites were around billions of years ago. And they're still around. They are, yeah. So yeah. Like, you can find them off the west coast of uh, Australia. Shark Bay, Australia, sure, and then yeah. the Bahamas. And they've since evolved to, now they only live in areas with, well, those, those two areas, but it's, it, they need they live in areas with the super saline conditions because they're just kind of sitting ducks in terms of predators. So they need to be that, that the fact that they were able to figure out how to live in these super saline conditions is actually pretty ingenious of them. So they're like, you know, we're good. There's nothing, yeah. <laughs> nothing else around here. So we come at like, me, bro. I've been jump, here huh? for billions of years. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so anyways, so this is around, uh, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, the, the whole podcast today is, going to be about pre-Cambrian time, right? And, we, you know, once again, we're dealing with like billions with a B years ago. And, you know, this is, once again, uh, we're, we're getting to this topic of, of uh, talking about pre-Cambrian time. It's, it's, we're dealing with deep time here. And this is like, this is one of the most difficult concepts to, to comprehend as a geologist, just with some of the, some of these years that we're throwing around, all right? So, um, I said the, these stromatolites came onto the scene about, like I said, uh, during mid to end Archean period, and there was no free oxygen around. And because there's no free oxygen, that means that there's also no ozone layer as well. So we had really harsh UV light hitting the surface of the earth. So this bacteria had to get, had, had to kind of get, we'll talk, also talk about how, how scrappy these early life forms got to be able to avoid this harsh UV light. We know that that's one of the ways that you can kill bacteria is just with UV light. And, uh, and so the early, early life had to figure out a way to, to get around this. So a couple of different ways you can get around from being shielded from the UV light, either you're underwater, 
10 plus meters deep that'll 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 uh, shield you enough from the uv light or you live underneath a thin protective layer of sediment and that's kind of what the stromatolites ended up doing you know they they uh they're kind of when when you see their deposits there's this thin layer of sediment that, that was covering the algae and that was supposedly enough i guess to uh to shield them but anyways they also they live right at the sea surface they're growing right at the sea surface so is is part of them maybe it's both sediment and a little bit of water I yeah i want to give mean, them a little so, water yeah i don't know actually i i know they're they're like around the intertidal zone i, I don't yeah. know how deep they go but yeah i i would assume once you start going under any little bit of water it's going to want to help shield and this light. i you know i don't want to jump the evolutionary gun here <clears throat> but i will uh this is the reason most as far as we understand evolution on our planet, most life develops and, and radiates in the ocean to begin with, because we don't really get oxygen levels high enough to form a really protective ozone layer until probably into the Permian, Carboniferous. So it, you know, it takes several billion years, but I, I jumped the gun here on the oxygen thing a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Got, so of, of the 4.6 billion, you're, you're at 0. 0.3. Yeah. Right. So of 4.6, is when we start getting 0. 0.3 billion years ago is when we start getting ozone. Yeah. So, so I guess- or a, a significant ozone, should I say. So I guess this is um, this is a good time actually. I don't we don't have this in the outline, but I just thought of this just now. We should talk a little bit about geologic time, at least Precambrian time, real fast. So real quick refresher. So there are Precambrian time. If you want to get technical, it's not like an officially recognized time period. We actually talked we talked about on the geologic time scale episode, like what was it, like episode five or something, like way <laughs> way back, like OG episode. Um. So you have this time period, and Precambrian time makes up something uh, like eighty-seven percent of all of Earth history. So it starts off, you know, in the beginning, four point six billion years ago ish, and uh, the first time period is known as the um, Hadean. And it's once again, that's also not an officially recognized <laughs> uh, geologic. We were at this point; we're now we're doing eons. So let's say that's from four point six to four billion years ago. There's no crust left over from that. Uh, that time and but anyways so the time periods we're going to be dealing with are from the archean eon which go from 4 billion years ago to 2.5 billion years ago and then the proterozoic eon which goes from 2.5 billion years ago to uh 540 million years ago so give or take half a billion years ago ish all right so i'm throwing out these numbers of billions with a b so we're just, there's some serious, serious time we're bringing here. So um, let's see. So let's uh, so let's let's get back to to kind of the. I do the <clears throat> while we're on geologic time. You know, if we <clears throat> if we think of um, Earth as a calendar year, like Earth starts on January first. <clears throat> um, some of the oldest stromatolites. You, I think you said 2.8. I've, I've got 3.6. It's all the I same. I said 2.8 to 3.5. Okay, 
if if Earth is a calendar year, stromatolites don't appear until March twentieth. That's so the, they've been around for a while, and humans appeared at eleven fifty nine and like fifty nine seconds. Right? Yeah, so like, like, yeah, December thirty first. Yeah, New Year's Eve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. December thirty first. Yeah, December thirty first at eleven forty eight. So we've been okay. we've been around twelve minutes. That's yeah. modern humans, which. If you're if you're giving them yeah 120,000 years or whatever so <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of crazy most of most of the Paleozoic so the Cambrian you know the Precambrian takes us from January first to November eighteenth yeah that's and we do get into this in our geolog- geologic time scale that was yeah. episode twenty eight from august of 2015 yeah so feel free to review that one six years ago 20 wait 2015 yeah yeah all right so the first fossil life is found at the beginning of the archean eon all right so that's kind of pushing closer to to uh you know four billion years ago that's like the um but you know this stuff that we have, you know, it's it's obviously it's not complicated life, right? The Archean atmosphere was super hostile towards life that that we know of today. If you would take any life from today, most the very vast majority of, of complex life, I should say, and you put it like I said, put them in a time machine, threw them back into the Archean eon. God bless. See you later. Good, you know, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of yeah. You got. <clears throat> mostly like carbon dioxide and methane ammonia yeah uh other <clears throat> those are pretty bad and some other some other pretty nasty gases one interesting sort of side note is that the world is it, the earth is really hot right now right but the set the sun was like 70 to 75 percent as luminous faint it, sun yeah the faint young sun faint paradox young sun. yeah yeah and it's just because we had so much greenhouse gas that the earth was cooking. We've talked and, about that in, in previous episodes too. Yeah. I've, I've been on a big faint young sun kick. They talk about that. And uh, when you talk about like early life and stuff like that, yeah, the, the, um, the faint young sun had a, a play in this, but I don't talk about it for, for, you know, for the purpose of this stuff, <laughs> kind of simplifying it a bit more. <laughs> so, um, do you, do, you, do you want me to talk about some of the evidence that may or may not be evidence or do you want me to hold that of evidence of life yeah let's jump into it yeah well how about this how about this let me say this one thing first and then you jump into this right all right I'm ready. do it so in order to talk about some of the earliest life we must first define what life is all right hmm. see what i'm doing here see what i'm doing <laughs> so I didn't realize this until I was doing the research for this episode. There's no set biological definition of life. It's just, we just kind of assume what life is. You know, we have an idea of what life is and what life isn't, but there's no set in stone definition of the term life. I always thought it was just the ability to reproduce and replicate and pass on your genes to the next generation of viruses. Viruses. Yeah. Yeah. And so, See, this is where it gets weird. I mean, uh, yes, there's an obvious, like, if I were to say to you, like, oh, that, that thing's alive. Like, if we were just talking in conversation, we all have this understanding, this general understanding of, of life and non-life. 
but scientifically speaking, there's some weird oddities out there. Viruses being one. Oh, it's, the viruses reproduce. They do reproduce, but virus. We're getting to that. We'll get into that a little later. But oh, yeah. some some scientists they don't think that viruses are yeah viruses actual alive. You wouldn't consider they're yeah. organic crystal. I have it written. They're down, like zombies, basically. Um. So yeah. there's there's a couple things that that the undead. Gonna, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you know, you talk like this COVID uh, thing soon. is literally like a zombie apocalypse, kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> I have been craving brains more. It, yeah. <laughs> How's your COVID? Are you all right now? You're you're good now. I'm good. good. Except okay. for you know the brains cravings. Brains. Yeah. All right. So for the purpose of this episode, uh, our definition of life, all we 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 uh, we realize that life has a, a couple things uh, shares the same needs. All right. Uh, we all have. This- I I'm sorry. <clears throat> I really wish the only definition you would just be would be the jeff goldblum all you need life finds life a way finds a way, finds a way. <laughs> that's the definition right there anything that can find a way is life okay we're not going to use it. I, I mean like if you want to hear us talk more about jurassic park you can uh what is it episode what episode is jurassic park steve 70 50 69 60 He's got a mouthful of food right now. He's <laughs> no, no, no. Hang on. All right. I, we should do another movie episode. We've gotten some requests. That was episode 60. 60. Okay. Oh, Back 20, in September. 20, 26 episodes ago. Um, all right. So we're going to uh, we're gonna say that all life shares the same needs. And those needs are protein building amino acids, uh, the same special sugars, uh, the same energy transferring molecules, and the same genetic code. So that's it's- what... The four things I think about when I wake up in the morning. Amino acids. I need sugar. I need sugar, protein, <laughs> building amino acids. I need to transfer this energy to molecules. Okay. <laughs> where, where does the genetic code thing come in? I don't know. Do you, do you just want me to stop talking? <laughs> I feel no. like I'm not adding much here. <laughs> okay. So we add all these essential molecules together but that doesn't mean that we have life still. Okay. And uh, so we, all these components must be activated to, they're going to have to interact in ways that depend critically on this, on like an interconnected system of internal fluids. That's going to uh, be able to move the basic molecules around your system. It's going to be directed by DNA with uh, and electrical impulses and allow for poisonous waste to leave the system. Okay. So actually, let me just say this one last thing too. So it, life doesn't only just need, like, it's not just grow, metabolize and reproduce, but it's, you also have to account for it to at a minimum grow, metabolize, reproduce, mutate, and then reproduce those mutates down the line. Would that, with those mutations, is that <clears throat> just evolution then? Is yeah. That... Yeah. Just kind of, yeah. Little, little bits, little changes here and there. So Okay, so Jesse, what were what was? Well, so this actually that was I'm, I'm I am glad you brought that all up because one of the things is when we're looking for fossil evidence, especially this far in the past, our rock record is very scant, mm-hmm. and a lot of the rocks we do have are, you know, super metamorphic, which is definitely a type of rock, the super metamorphic, um, <laughs> super duper, but. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, you think about <clears throat> what trace would this early life is this early life. These are single celled, very simple bacterias. And so what kind of evidence does that leave? You know, stromatolites, you have this colonial structure. So, so <clears throat> you're leaving the record. And part of the reason they preserve so well is because they protected themselves with that layer of sediment. Mm -hmm. And so you get these alternating, these layers of, of the, these, uh, as Steve's great joke was, these algal laminations, these algal mats, essentially, um, that get locked in with the sediment. So there, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, there was a group that found uh, 3.7 billion year old traces in Greenland of these little tiny tubular structures that basically looked like bacteria. They sort of looked like um, the interior of, of the bacteria you, you would find in, in say a stromatolite in Australia. The stromatolite, the really old three billion, three and a half billion year old stromatolites, they sort of have these cone-like structures if you look at them in cross-section. Um, <clears throat> but essentially the, the, the group who found them is pretty adamant that they're bacteria. Uh, other folks are pretty unconvinced. Um, some of the arguments is that they just look like hydrothermal minerals mm -hmm. um, that get deposited. And they've done <clears throat> some more work and essentially said and most, most researchers who have followed up have said no dice to it hmm. because they don't find the cone structure um, when you like cut into it laterally, you actually, it looks uh, uh, essentially as the one researcher said, like a Toblerone, mm -hmm. it's got this stretched out undulating feature to it. So it looks like it's just like a mineral that's been really stretched, mm. which you would expect in, you know, super <clears throat> metamorphic rock and the geochemistry doesn't necessarily line up with what you would expect now. now in Austria oh yeah. That was like the geochemistry doesn't line up as you expect. You tell me nothing's going to change over 3 billion years. Well, well, that's well, here's, so there's a, a newer, newisher study out of Australia, the, uh, out of the J Jack Hills region of Australia, which Good day. the cradle of life, as I call Australia, <laughs> uh, and with all of the venomous, and poisonous creatures they have it's also the it's cradle to grave it's, <laughs> it's where life started and it's where you will end that's where you will end <laughs> <laughs> what's the difference between venom and po venom if it bites you you die poison if you bite it you die is that how it, I, that sounds like a good think, good definition to me i think that's what it anyhow they found within zircons um poisonous what they would snakes. call chemo fossils so chemical traces yeah of a certain carbon based like carbon isotope based molecular structure that is sort of beyond me but but you find oftentimes synthesized in organic okay carbons. so can we take one little step back so nope i've i've put a period like on when this jesse says on. <laughs> they, they look at the rock in cross section. They actually cut the rock in half, glue it to a piece of glass, 
thin that rock down so thin that you can actually shine light through it and you can see the internal structures of things. Yep. And, and you can actually thin it down so much you can get atomic structures of things. If you use something like a TEM uh, uh, transmission electron microscope, it actually goes through the material. And then for the, the zircons, zircons are just really, uh, really robust, really tough silicate minerals that are, it's really, really hard to break down. So they, they last a really long time. The oldest minerals we have on earth are zircons and, and they're over 4 billion, right? Yeah. And they preserve, like when they form, they can actually take some stuff from the atmosphere and, and preserve it inside its structure. Sometimes they're actually little bubbles with like liquid and stuff. That oh, yeah. We're, we're like getting little to time that. Capsules. Don't worry. Okay. So the, yeah. the oldest zircon is 4.4 billion found australia in the jack hills jack of hills, australia. Jack hills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cradle of life as 4. I've been four so that's like wow that's right that and survived like everything the the moon being formed and like, so this is you know part of this idea here oh yeah it's before the moon that's yeah crazy. yeah i know whoa part back of, in my day there was no moon part <laughs> of this question about what is life and what would we look for is not just <clears throat> understanding where we came from, but as we send like the Perseverance rover to Mars, these are questions we need to figure out as they probe for evidence of early life. Yeah. Say evolving on other planets. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, you know, let's, let's get into now, like, what do you look for? Like, that's actually a great segue, Jesse. Like, you're looking Thank on you. Mars. Is it? That's why we bring him. That's why we pay him the big bucks, ladies and gentlemen. So you're going on both Mars, bucks, both you know, dollars. Yes, the, the 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 half a dozen dollars we pay him. Um, so you're going to Mars, and you're looking for life, right? But you know, the only thing that we know is life on Earth, right? So we're kind of. I always kind of think of it like this: we're looking at this with one. We have one data point about how life forms and how life exists, and that's on this blue marble that we're all on circling around the earth. Right. So I guess we can look at this now. And so what, what do we know about life? Well, let's, let's look at generally what, what is, what are we made of? So if you would break down, um, if you'd break down life, basically life forms on earth by dry weight, we're made of just, it, there's we're mostly just a couple of elements, right? So we're 48.4% carbon. All right. Then number two, uh, we're 23.7% oxygen, 13% nitrogen, 7% hydrogen, 3.5% calcium, 1.6% phosphorus, and basically 1.5% other elements. All right. So I the, agree with all that, except really only 7% hydrogen. That, that, that blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, I guess I mean you figure H2O. I, I guess dry really, weight, dry weight. There's yeah, that's true. Hydrogen's really light. Never yeah, mind. So we're, Carry we're, on. What, what are we like <laughs> as, as, as bodies were 60% water, you would think? So if or, you're, if you're taking a mummy that's been desiccated, is this what you're going to measure in a mummy? Ooh, perhaps dry weight. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good point. 
I didn't do research on mummies, right? Or Egyptology <laughs> this week. So let's forget that Jesse asked that question and then just <laughs> say that's irrelevant. All right. Yeah. yeah I, uh, it, it was an interesting <laughs> thought thought problem, though. Yes. Hey, we got a long ways to go before we get sidetracked on Egyptology and, and, <laughs> and mummies. <laughs> yeah. So Chris made a wonderful outline in Microsoft Word that is good gracious a lot longer than i realized <laughs> it, it it has grown significantly in the last couple of days uh but where would you go to get help with stuff from microsoft word if only we knew if all right we... Car- carrying on uh, <laughs> <laughs> i guess we'll never know the audience if you're just, you, know, if you guys do something <laughs> uh no the formatting formula uh for those of you who are friends of the podcast you know that we have wonderful friends at the formattingformula.com who uh, help us sponsor us, us sponsor us um, formattingformula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula for all of your word document formatting needs. And uh, you know, I feel like a broken record. I say this every week that um, it's word. How hard could it be? It can be crazy hard. There's lots of things. Anyone who's ever had to write a exceptionally long document knows about embedding figures and table of contents and hyperlinks and bookmarks and all this stuff. And then, you know, converting it to PDF or, or converting a PDF back into word. And then that whole nightmare, because, you know, if it's an old PDF, that's it's crazy, but uh, you can either ask the formatting formula to help you formattingformula.com, Tell them the geology final cast sent you, or you can go to YouTube and, videos on where you can essentially teach yourself how to do a lot of this stuff. Uh, they really are informative. Um, so please check them out. Tell them geology flannel class sent you formatting formula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula for all of your word documenting needs. So yeah, Chris, I did look at this outline. I, I feel like this is a coal episode all of a sudden. <laughs> We're, we're, we're gonna have to break this down in like four tr- different episodes tr- we'll get through we'll get through okay. all right so let's okay so like i guess i I went down i we're basically by dry weight you, you take out all the water weight we are made of carbon by in order carbon oxygen nitrogen hydrogen calcium phosphorus so those six and then the rest the other 1.5 percent is others so there's six elements that basically make us up so let's what let's, what, what do you think your others are like um, mine's probably like I don't know frosted flakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what you had for breakfast. My, mine's probably lead from all my master's research. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just yeah. getting dumber by the moment. Oh, <laughs> I guess mine. I, I would have to put some coal in there. Here's um, that's just more carbon. Jesse's oh, one point right. five. Other just gets added I mean, to like the carbon. The other, tally. in all honesty, the other is I think just kind of like iron, aluminum. It's a couple, couple other little. Yeah, uh, it's got to be your your bits. minerals like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Frosted it, flakes. Yeah, that. Where the hell did that come from? <laughs> all right. So breaking it down, carbon. Obviously, we know carbon is super important. We are carbon-based beings. Uh, uh, so, but in inorganic matter carbon is only like present in minute quantities so that's kind of interesting that for life we have we're like super enriched in carbon compared to just stuff that is not organic and this this was 
<clears throat> this was sort of a, a question that people have looked at. So there's, um, they've looked at it mono lake. So we often look for, when we think about life elsewhere, we think about um, uh, carbon-based life forms. But what if a life, what if life elsewhere evolved that wasn't, mm. super acidic yeah or is it it's alkaline right oh i'm sorry yeah super alkaline just very inhospitable and so they thought they had found uh like bacteria in there that was not carbon-based but i can't think off the top of my head what it was like fluorine based or yeah phosphorus based or something yeah it turned out maybe not to be the case but it's an, it was an interesting sort of thought experiment about, you know, we, we think about it being carbon-based and, and that's part of it is it's what we know, but this is, this sort of leads to this idea of like, did maybe there was early life that also evolved that wasn't carbon-based on earth, but it just didn't make it given well, so the conditions. Yes. Hold oh. that thought because there could be several holding. directions of life. Yeah. Holding, you know, who's to say, I guess we'll, we'll get into it a little bit, but, you know, a spoiler I thought it was the circle later, of life, the circle of life. Elton John Lion King said it, the best, to me. you know, and uh, but <laughs> it's just, um, who's to say that life came about only once and that, uh, you know, it, it could have potentially it, there could have been several starts of life independent of all each other. Uh, there could have been many starts of life. Some died out. Some didn't even some just didn't didn't hang and didn't make it. So we'll get into that a little bit later in the in the outline. But that's this is where this topic gets like super, super complicated just because we'll never know. We'll never have we'll never know the answer. Was there just one start of life or were there many starts of life? Yeah, I can just say prove it. You can just say prove it. And then that's that. Um, all right. So moving, chugging along here. Um, so we talk about carbon. Uh, next down the line, nitrogen. Nitrogen, we know, makes up 78% of the Earth's atmosphere. So when you're breathing in air, you're breathing in mostly nitrogen. But in organisms, it's three orders of magnitude more abundant than on Earth as a whole. So we got lots oh. of nitrogen in our bodies compared to what, what is on Earth, right? Hydrogen and oxygen, I'm going to lump them together for this, for this little, uh, this little mini section here, but uh, we know that hydrogen and oxygen are, are really, really prevalent on earth and in the universe. Um, and in organisms, though, they're basically present as water um, in your, but in a dry protein, they're about as abundant as carbon, both hydrogen and oxygen. Phosphorus and sulfur are essential for nucleic acids. Nucleic acids are really important because that's the, in DNA, nucleic acid is the NA part of DNA and, and RNA. Once again, ribonucleic acid, RNA, diribonucleic acid, DNA. That's, you know, so we need phosphorus and sulfur for the nucleic acids. We also need it for some amino acids, uh, most proteins and other structural substances that make up life. So the, uh, the, the primary constituents, the, the primary elements that make up organisms, you can use this little acronym CHON, C-H-O-N, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. So we'll, we'll talk about that throughout this, uh, this topic here. But let's just look at those four elements right there, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. 
well, what, what do they all have? What, what, what's, what's the deal with these? Well, they're all found in the top two rows of the periodic table of elements, all right? They're very abundant, you know, they're, they're, they're very abundant. And what happens is when you combine these elements together, they create these strong bonds, which is important for, for, creating, for creating life. And especially things like, um, you know, like, like, um, like, like life tissues and things like that. You want to be strong but not too strong because if they're too strong, then your meta the metabolism, your metabolism can't take them apart can't, and rearrange this stuff around. So you want it to be strong, but not too strong. And that's what ends up happening with these, these Chan elements, carbon, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and, and nitrogen. That's, that's what's on Chris's eHarmony profile. Strong, but not too strong. <laughs> <laughs> I have taken, I will let you know, right? <laughs> uh, it's an old, it's an old profile. It's, it, I, it's, just, it's just hanging out there. It's just, <laughs> I, I check it every day, but yeah, you, know. you, check it every, you need a hobby. I don't, I, I consider myself the original Chon because <laughs> I've got carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. All right. So here's a, here's a monster topic. Let's talk about Stanley Miller. I think we spend three hours on this guy Can we, right now. What about Harold Urey? And Harold Urey. Yeah. Yes. This the Miller Urey experiment. This is a good, this is a classic so, in terms of experimentation. This is a good in. This is like the OG. This is the OG experiment on this, yeah. on this topic. Yeah. Literally this, is. This is it's, it. It's the OG experiment pretty much ever. Yeah. Talk, yeah. When exactly, you're talking about exactly, life. Yeah, exactly. All right. So you think we can talk about this in like five minutes? Yes. Yeah. All right. Who wants, who wants to have at it with this one? So, so it, I want to point out in the outline, you have 1951 and in my extensive notes, I have 1952. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, if, for those of you listening, I'm holding up a post-it note, yes. which is where I keep my show notes all over my desk here. Listen, if that's the biggest problem with this episode, I will call this a huge success. <laughs> right. that's, that's that the is biggest it. criticism. Don't fact check anything else. We've already covered it right there. You can see the independent auditing we do between each other. Yes. All right. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give a quick breakdown, super quick yeah. breakdown, and then Jesse's going to correct me <laughs> fill in the blanks so basically i'm just gonna tell my personal story about about seeing it oh i like yeah. it all right so stanley miller harold uray try to figure out you know if you're just given these this box of stuff that's not not doesn't have life in it and you put them together in an atmosphere that doesn't have uh free oxygen that amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins, which is the building blocks of life, um, can be made from non-biological starting materials. So you put these things together, you add a little something, a little boost. Some, you know, some people say uh, like it could have been a lightning strike. It could be the extra radiation from the lack of ozone. It could be, you know, just some other energy source. You add that into it, and then boom, you can start the building blocks of life. That's it. And, 
Yeah. And so that was the, that was the first time that they said, basically we take all these really um, nasty inorganic compounds that are just, you know, really uh, detrimental to life right now, combine them and we get amino acids. They didn't even take like, I mean, it was literally in the original one, they had water, methane, ammonia, and hydrogen. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it, it reminds me of the uh, Mr. Fusion in Back to the Future 2. Yeah. You just throw a bunch of garbage into it, and then out comes you and know, they, your... And they, they, they say, yeah, like, just a, a, you know, turning on the spark in this, what they would consider a prebiotic soup, you get, uh, I think they got 11 out of, at the time, 20 known amino acids. Mm-hmm. And the, they found, and I, I think we were talking about this earlier or, or sometime recently they found in sealed vials from the experiment. <clears throat> they retested them in, in, in the two or two thousands that there was actually well over 20 amino acids. And so they're trying to figure out, has it, have these, have they been growing in there the whole yeah, time or so they <laughs> form and they just couldn't test them. So it's kind of crazy. This is, well, this, this is the idea of the primordial ooze. Yeah. yeah. With, um, I think you the made way, the joke last week. They're going to open those files again in another 20 years. And it's just going to be like a whole community. It's going to be like Sims. Yeah. There's going to be people in there. I hope so. <laughs> Talking so, Sims, Sim talk. They apparently this, this experiment has been reproduced. It's been, it's been done over. Yeah. People have reproduced this experiment with different, uh, different, uh, you know, uh, different gas, you know, what they thought was maybe that the, the gases in the early Earth's atmosphere is a little bit different, but still like, you know, really inhospitable. But it, regardless, it doesn't matter. Every time, just about every time that this experiment's been repeated with different compounds in there, they've still come out with amino acids. It's actually <clears throat> pretty crazy how robust these amino, like the, the robust conditions that can cause these amino acids to form. And another interesting thing is, the more reducing the, the one sort of yeah and um hydrogen sulfide rich spark like they've they've changed like the atmospheric conditions mm-hmm. and but uh, so apparently though the more reducing the atmosphere the more ample the yield you get of these amino acids hmm. so you know Re- reducing, reducing is gaining you're getting, getting electrons, electrons. Yeah. I always like to think of it as electrons have a negative charge. So if you keep on getting the minuses, you end up reducing, right? Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I just remember oil rig. Oxidizing is losing. Reduction is gaining. Oil oh. rig. <laughs> oh, that's a little catchy. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 By the way, and uh, oh, uh, well, our, our Patreon says, Leo says, Gurr. <laughs> <laughs> that's another acronym. I like my oil rig. I'm a geologist. Leave me alone. <laughs> By the way, Jesse, I just looked up another article. Uh, this is according to Scientific American. They're saying that the Miller-Urey experiment was 1953. So are we both? What is going on here? What is I, why, Three different sources, three different years for this thing. What is time? Let's just say to make everybody happy, the Miller-Urey experiment happened in the early 19 yeah there we go all right <laughs> is, let's this, just... is this when we 
flipped to like the Gregorian calendar or something? Well, yeah, we we lost a few like, days. Yeah. We're talking about 4 billion years of life evolution here. And <laughs> yeah. now we're splitting hairs about three years or two years <laughs> difference, you know, like, come on. All right. Oh, I thought- <clears throat> so I've got their science paper and it's 1953 is the science paper. Right. And they had to do this, the that. crazy thing about this paper is two pages. Great. It's great. Just to the point. Just yeah. BS. Just here we go. Little diagram of the apparatus, which is it's a really simple apparatus with, you know, a couple flasks and a couple tubes. Now I don't feel bad about my explanation. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's very simple. It's very simple. And the title a production of amino acids under possible primitive earth conditions like to the point just to the point just they i i i like that yeah so once again it's been hypothesized that the early earth atmosphere was highly reducing and this kind of like you know it's just saying just noticing that uh with all these repeated experiments that the more reducing the atmosphere the more ample the yield of amino acids so yeah so we're looking at once again more and more evidence just kind of pointing that the early earth atmosphere was was the highly reducing conditions. Now, let's keep continue moving on through time. So during the Archean Eon, the atmosphere kind of neutralized at a point. And they think that this is from photolysis. So photolysis is when sunlight splits the H2O molecule to release oxygen. And so that was that's actually a, uh, one of the sources of free oxygen. It's just, just from photolysis. So you get water vapor in the air, and sunlight just boom splits that H2O apart, and uh, it's, it's one one source for oxygen. And so that kind of over time kind of neutralized the atmosphere. The other cool thing about talking about early atmospheric conditions is that there are there have been found uh, 3.5 billion year old rocks, and uh, inside these you know, this is Archean aged rocks and inside these 3.5 billion year old rocks, they found fluid inclusions with tiny bubbles. And they think that these tiny bubbles inside this fluid inclusion where these bubbles captured the Archean atmosphere. And so, so what they found inside these air bubbles, inside these bubbles was carbon dioxide, water vapor and hydrogen sulfide, H2S. So that though, it's obviously it's hard to tell what the atmospheric conditions were like during the you know 3.5 billion years ago during the Archean eon, but that is the only direct data that we have for Archean atmosphere. So basically, take that with a grain of salt. It's just one, ah! point, you know, there's no salt. Was it in a grain of salt? That would have been funnier. Uh, I don't think it was. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, just real quick with that process, they actually like again slice the rock pretty thin. You obviously don't want to pop that bubble, but then they shoot lasers at it and then the laser vaporizes everything. And then they suck that vapor up into a machine that can analyze it for all the different components and um, isotopes and gotopes. You you know, uh, (laughs) speaking speaking of gotopes and and H2S, so a hydrogen sulfide rich atmosphere, you're going to get reaction with water vapor. And you're going to form sulfuric acid, which is H2SO4. And so it always reminds me of Lisa Simpson. (laughs) Yeah. Little Timmy took a drink, but he will drink no more for what he thought was H2O was H2SO4. 
<laughs> do you guys remember this stuff i mean the simpsons is a great show but your simpsons trivia knowledge is <laughs> my unreal. simpsons trivia knowledge is only good from like season one to season eight yeah <laughs> and we're on season like 33 so <laughs> i think they just got picked up for two more seasons they're going of like of course they did. yeah <laughs> so going back to this uh you know the you know the miller yuri experiment we know that we can, you know, create, it's very well known, you can create these amino acids, which are the building blocks of life. We'll get into that uh, in, a, in a, minute, a couple of minutes, getting close to that. But, you know, we can create these amino acids from these pretty inhospitable conditions. But another place that we found amino acids are on meteorites, <sighs> right? Yeah. So on meteorites, we found, not we, like collectively, like the flannel cast have found this, but other 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 people out there have speak for yourself you don't know what i do in my free time you find amino acids on meteorites because that's pretty amazing <laughs> um we've actually talked about this in the on the final cast in previous episodes the a meteorite known as the murchison meteorite in 1969 mm. from australia they found uh membrane building lipid like organic chemicals on that meteorite plus five all five nucleotide bases right and so this is kind of going to set us up for the nucleic acids these these nucleotide bases basically very very watered down but um when you get these nucleotide bases and they attach to sugar phosphate chains you can get dna and rna now starting from that um so uh you know once again showing that these essential building blocks of proteins can form in an in an environment lacking free oxygen or, or free o2 so that's really important. And it's not just the Murchison meteorite in Australia that has where uh, people have found um, you know, uh, either the nucleotide bases or the, the amino acids. There's been other there's there's been other uh, other meteorites as well as well that have that have documented this. So long story short, we know that we can get these basic building blocks of life in an early Earth, which lacked free oxygen. Right. We know. And another actually, this isn't in the outline, but we also know that there another reason that we know that there's no free oxygen on earth is because there's no evidence of any rust or oxidation in the rock record from rocks of this time so that's that's another thing we don't we don't see the we don't see these uh what we call like red beds or these, these red, red sandstones and mudstones showing up until until a little bit until biffs. later the biffs yeah yeah so that's and the iron formations if you don't have any oxygen how are you going to get oxidation happening you're not all right so Let's uh, let's get into now some of these um, amino acids and and just let's so we now know how to create the amino acids or you know we know that they they can show up on an early Earth atmosphere. So let's break it down now. So the twenty Jesse talked about this. It was Jesse or I think it was Jesse that said this, but the they found that the twenty Jesse said like the, the twenty amino acids that are like critical for for life. Well, they found these, eleven of the twenty. They found eleven of twenty for the for the Miller Urey experiment. Yeah, yeah, the okay. first time, but the first yeah. time, the first okay, okay. Yeah. and then it was it was later they had the other ones, but um, all these amino acids are left-handed, so which means they throw the baseball with their left hand. No, it means <laughs> we have these amino acids can either be say either be right-handed or left-handed, right, um, and. As basically, I'm not going to get into this. 
Um, but the uh, I, this this involves some uh, some uh, you know kind of like some chemistry that is just it's not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, get into this much too you know too much, but it's just kind of amazing that you get all this stuff. It's just kind of like the, the chances of this happening are just amazing. So, but real fast, left-handed amino acids mean the amine group is on the left side of the molecule and the molecule, the left-handed amino acids rotate polarized light counterclockwise. If you have polarized light on it. Um, and then right-handed amino acids do the exact opposite, right? So basically it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a group of amino acids, these, these left-handed amino acids. So, um, you know, the, the 20 that are critical, the, the 20 critical protein building amino acids are all left-handed. They all fall into this, into this one group. But then in contrast, biologic sugars are all right-handed amino acids, which is it's kind of interesting. Um, so kind of diving into this a bit more, amino acids and sugars of non-biological origin contain an equal number of right-handed and left-handed molecules, right? And this is known when you have the equal number of right-handed and left-handed molecules, this is said to be racemic. That's the, that's the term you use for that, right? Um, but with these, but you can't make spiral molecules of DNA from racemic acids and sugars. So something had to have happened to concentrate these all of these left-handed molecules together to 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 end up getting to end up getting DNA. All right, you can't have just this normal mix of of the right-handed and left-handed molecules. So something unknown to us uh, concentrated and arranged these molecules to yield the property of handedness, right? Which which we're going to use this term chirality. That's going to come in a little bit later. All right, so just had to had to throw that out there a little bit. But apparently now, back to the left, like stringing all these left-handed molecules together, these left-handed amino acids, apparently there's been studies done that suggest that once you get five amino acids of the same handedness that are linked together, they will preferentially add others of the same chirality. Chirality comes from, it's Greek for, for hand, the same handedness from a racemic or a mix, we have right-handed and left-handed. So once you string together five of these left-handed amino acids, chances are it's easier to keep on getting more left-handed amino acids to get strung along. And that's what we need to get to get DNA forming, all right? So it sounds kind of crazy, like just, just statistically, it sounds you know, kind of crazy or you know, how, 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 what are the chances of this happening that you get this string of just nothing but uh, of, of these of, of these left-handed amino acids, but you have to remember, we're dealing with geologic time here, and over geologic time, you could very well get these five amino acids of the same handedness or chirality, as I as I said before, linking up, and then once apparently once you get that five together, then then the rest kind of you know, and I, I'm saying this like it's super easy for this to for this to happen. So I just want to let you know it's it's not, but it's 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 still. This is still there's a bit of mystery involved on, on how this on how this happens. I think but, part of, part of it too is is the like you were saying the geologic time aspect is is you have to remember how long is involved here. You know, several billion years to sort of figure this process out. We <clears throat> yeah we're making it seem like oh it's it's this step and then this step and then this step. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's, <clears throat> which also leads to that idea about how many pathways were tried that failed. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's I mean, think point. about it. We're, we're more closely related. We're time-wise closer to the T-Rex than the T-Rex is the Triceratops. Deal with some deep time, baby. But that, but that's what I'm saying. Like, just we're talking about 65 million years from from T Rex to us. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously not a, a perfect lineage from from one to the other. But the differences in life just 65 million years ago. Six sixty six. I'm sorry, sixty six million years ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get any hate mail. No, no, you're yeah. right. I don't want to get any hate mail. But uh, the differences in life just just over you know 66 million years ago. It's a long time ago, but. But when we're talking about this deep time stuff, 66 million years ago, ain't no thing. I, you know, it's like a blink of an eye from what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Well, so all right. to get five things lined up, I think it could happen. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Now we get into this oxygen problem. We kind of hinted at this, this earlier. I, I think we, we talked, we did hint at oxygen. And if we didn't, then whatever. We now do. we're getting to it. Now we get to the free oxygen problem, all right? This is a good free one. Free oxygen here. Free, yeah. Free oxygen. Remember back in the 90s, it was free Tibet. Free oxygen. Um, okay. So life is hypersensitive to free O2. Oxygen, uh, you know, you have, we get, you get these corrosive metabolic byproducts. All right. Like ozone, for example, O3. All right. It's, it's uh, very corrosive. Advanced life requires O2. Isn't it amazing? You have O2. We need this to breathe modern organism, you know, but you add another oxygen on there to make O3. Boom. Kills you game set and match. You know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just amazing how well, you're there. Boom. Dead. That's it. <laughs> Sweet that's, spot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where we're at with O2 right now is is the sweet spot sort of for humans a little more and and it would not be well it makes sense because that's where you know humans haven't been around for that long no we have not so um makes- 12 minutes yeah when you get you <laughs> know start of the podcast <laughs> as <laughs> as humans as humans as oxygen ramps up um through geologic time it hits its peak in the, in the carboniferous which is also the time when we're depositing most of the coal in pennsylvania just fun fact just just want to drop that in there could, you got your could, bingo could card. be a final cast episode unless <laughs> you get your bingo call. Card thank ready. you very much uh and part of the reason is because you know um you have you have uh well anyway you have all this o2 because there's all this plant life drawing down co2 but the O2 allows the one thing it really loves all of this high oxygen atmosphere. Insects. Yeah. Bugs. Mm. You get these dragonflies with, you know, meter, two meter wingspans, which I cannot picture a more nightmarish world. Uh, you give me a cockroach. <laughs> that's like three feet long. I'm going yeah, no, to no, like, no, thanks. I have enough dealing with like the palmetto bugs down here in the South. All right. I, I, I would, that. I would light a match and just end that whole world. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. Well, when oxygen's that high. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. It's, it's because now from my understanding, like, listen, I'm not a, I'm not a botanist here, but uh, let's see. 
I, it was it was explained to me that insects don't have lungs and insects absorb oxygen through their exoskeleton through like pore space in their exoskeleton yes and i believe that's true yeah the size of the and insect a- is proportionate to the amount of oxygen in the atmosphere yes and that's why your insects were able to grow so big during the carboniferous period because there's more oxygen huh yeah so the the limiting factor for insect size is O2. Yes. Yeah. What's, what's the ratio of O2 or, you know, what's, what's the concentration of O2 in the atmosphere? Um, Yeah. All right. I believe you just go with it. Um, Okay. So, okay. Advanced life forms require O2. We know this. I'm breathing in O2 now. (sighs) Smells delicious. All right. Does it smell delicious? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you've you got your sense should, of smell. So it should this, have no odor. In this, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> is, so you've got your sense of smell, so you don't have COVID, which is good. Yeah, okay, but something I, I is horribly wrong inside your apartment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, so. <laughs> yeah. O2 smells like this new, this Yankee candle. Uh, <laughs> So, but byproducts of O2 are like peroxides and superoxides. And ha- those, that stuff has to be reduced to water by special enzymes. Because, you know, peroxide and also like these things called superoxides are extremely corrosive. All right. Um, so what, you know, ox- we're, we're, if we get into oxidative metabolism, it's going to, uh, it's going to, it's, I should say, let me, let me start that all over again. The beginning of oxidative metabolism starts with an aerobic step, something that's similar to fermentation. So I think that's what some of the um, first, the original bacteria were actually using some kind of a fermentation style type of uh, uh, way to get their, huh. get their energy. So that's, bil- that's- billion year old beer. That's really interesting. I would say the oxidation, like when you're saying about peroxide, I've never heard of the superoxide. It sounds awesome. But a peroxide, yeah, I, if, if you were ever, you know, a kid who got a cut and your mom was like, just dump some hydrogen peroxide on it. You have the, the brown bottle in your closet, which may you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. I use it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So it bubbles up when you, when it bubbles up white, what you're seeing is your organics oxidizing. You're killing it's oh, it's sweet. really it, it, too much of it is bad for you but if you have organic material or bacteria or something that's what it's it's killing all that off you know when i process pollen i one of the steps is putting it in peroxide essentially to to try and just very briefly to, to get rid of some of the oxide to get rid of some of the other organic material hmm. to allow the just like the shell of the pollen or the spore to to express itself a little better but uh, yeah, just a, a fun fact about using hydrogen peroxide. Yeah, it's, it's super corrosive. It's really bad for you. Another fun fact about hydrogen peroxide, totally not geology related, but apparently pro cyclists, we all know pro cyclists have a history of doing whatever they can do to get their, <laughs> to get their advantage, right? And so apparently, don't try this at home. Rumor has it that there is, Pro cyclists would take like a little, like a, like a little tiny, like thimbleful of peroxide, hydroperoxide, and drink it a tiny, tiny little bit. And supposedly it does something to get more oxygen in your blood. I don't know. Yeah. That's, do not do that. Don't no. do that. <laughs> don't. No. And that brown bottle in your, in your 
cabinet is like somewhere between like two percent hydrogen peroxide like it's really really diluted because the stuff we use in the lab you know will will melt your skin off yeah um and also i i also heard recently that you know you shouldn't use hydrogen peroxide anymore for cuts because it it actually kills your your skin cells and and it doesn't help it grow back as much it kills the membrane yeah it's bad yeah. yeah, I still use it. I just oh, use it yeah. yesterday on my kids. Yeah, <laughs> so. well, yeah. When I do it and they they shout, I'm like, "You see that white foam and stuff? That's killing the bacteria. It's, it's yeah. doing its job. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's better. So, it's better than Bactine. Anybody remember that? Oh, I remember that Bactine, stuff was yeah. off. Was that the orange? It, was the that green, the, the green, green and white green. bottle? Green. Yeah. yeah. So back to the beginnings of life. So, anyways, this is all pointing at the beginnings of life where anaerobic or at least anoxic right once again we're dealing with a, a lack of oxygen and this further points at the you know the early earth atmosphere that oxygen showed up in the proterozoic eon all right um another fun fact dealing with oxygen that i have here is that there are no primary sources of free o2 okay and on top of that secondary o2 is highly reactive and short-lived, okay? So the issue that we're having now with oxygen, it's not, it's not an issue that, they're, that the early earth didn't have free O2. The, really, the issue is where did all this oxygen, how do we have all this oxygen today? And this is like, it's, it's react, it's, it normally, it's highly reactive with other stuff. Uh, and it, the, the fact that we have so much oxygen today is, is puzzling. So fun, fun fact there. It's not that the, you know, geologists or just scientists are, are confused about that. There wasn't oxygen on earth. It's the fact that we have how abundant and it is. Today. I, I, one of the things, and I, I mentioned it earlier when I said we got up to ozone levels, because it's only once we get free oxygen, <clears throat> then that, that oxygen reacts with UV radiation to liberate some of the taking O2, which is free oxygen, and liberates it into singular oxygen molecules, which then react with O2 to form O3, which is ozone. <clears throat> we, we are, we're often taught like, all right, stromatolites, you know, life evolves with these stromatolites and they're photosynthetic. So they draw down CO2 and produce free oxygen. And that's how we get oxygen in our atmosphere. What we're not taught is that... <clears throat> it takes a really long time to build up that oxygen in our atmosphere. Yeah, it does. Yeah. We, we don't reach, you know, 20, we're at 21% today. We don't hit 20 or 21% for, for a few billion years. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, I, I, I feel like sometimes we lose the time element when we teach these things. Mm-hmm. Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go back to these amino acids. Yeah. Right? Because this is going to be a huge, a, the, the huge thing we're dealing with just how, how life came about. So, all right. So just because we have the production of amino acids, sugars, nucleotide bases, like I said, which eventually kind of leads to these little things called DNA and RNA, that doesn't account for life. All right. So just because you have one amino acid that doesn't make a protein, let alone life. Okay. So, we're going to need to link these amino acids together to make proteins. We're going to need to link these sugars with nucleotide bases and phosphoric acids to make these nucleotides and then to make the nucleic acids. 
to make the DNA and RNA. So what we see is water is going to play a key role in this process. Are you guys surprised by this? It's not like the surface of the earth is 78% water. You know, it's just what water is prove it. everywhere. Yes. Prove it. <laughs> I, one of the things you've, this is the first time you've mentioned, I think is RNA and RNA is super important because that's where you get replication of this in mm -hmm. life where you can allow it to, to replicate and propagate. Uh, to defend Chris, he did mention RNA earlier. Oh, I, I just, I actually mute you guys. <laughs> no, it's fine because there was, there was a solid week, a solid two weeks where Jesse would say something and I would just be out in left field ignoring him. And then I would say the same exact thing 10 seconds later. And he would just give me this look like, I just said that. You yeah, I, forgot about, I totally forgot about that. Uh, yeah, it did happen like three weeks in a row, didn't it? It was, yeah. it was a while. I was just, I yeah. don't know, something was going on. I was preoccupied and I was like, all right. All right. So let's, how, how does water play a role in this process? All right. You can't talk about this and not, not talk about water. So it's a process called dehydration condensations. And it's literally exactly as it sounds. The removal of water from appropriate adjacent molecules causes them to bind together. We're going to dehydrate it and condense it. All right. So this process is responsible in linking amino acids into peptides uh, uh, polypeptides and proteins. So we haven't talked about peptides yet. Uh, peptides are basically without going into too much like biology and chemistry, just view peptides as like smaller versions of proteins. These short, they're shorter strings of amino acids than proteins are. And I know like you can take like peptide supplements to, to help your muscles and, and, and things like that to build your, to build your muscles. Hmm. Um, it's also some of the peptide supplements are also like super like illegal for like professional sports as well <laughs> i was i thought the name sounded familiar yeah but yeah. i yeah i have no idea because i'm obviously not training for anything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um you know the, this is also this dehydration condensations it's going to link sugars to nucleotide bases and phosphoric acids to make your nucleotides and join them as nucleic acids genes and chromosomes now this is we're getting to they're getting to, to linking all this stuff now that's that we need for for the reproduction for, for reproducing right and the dehydration condensations are going to remove links that bind and separate phosphoric acids uh phosphor i'm sorry phosphoric acid molecules of the adenosine monophosphate adenosine diphosphate and adenosine triphosphate what the heck did I just say? Well, for short, that's <laughs> AMP, ADP, and ATP. Ah. And so these molecules, these really long word molecules that I just said that I probably just lost half the audience with. No, I'm just joking. Um, we're just, I'll just say that these are now, these molecules are in charge of biological energy transactions. So long story short, all the stuff I said, the dehydration condensations process it's going to be linking your, all your really, really important stuff together. It's going to be linking your amino acids together and all this stuff that, that builds these proteins and these peptides and setting the stage to make you know, DNA, RNA, genes, chromosomes, AMP, ADP, ATP for, to transfer energy inside cells. So now we're kind of setting the stage here, all right? Yeah, we're um, still pre-cell. We're still, yeah, yeah. So- 
ATP has been made experimentally under simulated prebiotic conditions. So now this is another huge thing because this is how cells transfer energy. Okay? And this is going to suggest because we made this stuff in experimentally, uh, yeah, experimentally under you know, prebiotic conditions, we can now assume that ATP molecules have been around from the beginning, which is another huge step, huh. right? Yeah, so now we can kind of see all this is, is coming together. So now we get into, let's talk some philosophy, gentlemen. And we kind of mentioned this before, so we, can, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but even if we can create a fully sustainable, self-replicating, mutating system, this would only let us know about one pathway to life. Who the heck knows how many pathways there could have been? You know, as we said earlier in the, in the show, I think Steve had, Steve made a point about this. Um, and also we have no, we don't have no idea, no evidence about how many unsuccessful attempts that there previously were at life. It just didn't pan out and whatever and that, that line of life just died off. Not, not only are we talking super deep time. So there's not a lot of rocks from that time. You talk about fossils Usually when you think of a fossil, it's some hard body part of a thing that died, you know, tens of millions to hundreds of millions of years ago. Now you're talking about proteins and polypeptides trying to preserve that in the rock record is, yeah, it's that impossible. Well, you, you, you do talking about proteins. Yeah. Right. uh, um, You do. there are ways in which we preserve sort of geochemical traces of things and within, you know, you you can preserve say lipids uh, pretty readily in the rock and and you can, you can preserve some of these things, but yeah, I don't know about preserving peptides. Um, So it is kind of crazy. I, I do, you know, the idea about, the pathways of life is something that's just super crazy to think about. I know but that's I mean, what I'm saying. We, we know the end point now, which is us. <laughs> so I feel like it's easy to go back to see um, where it started from. But if we, if we didn't, if we don't know what the end point was, like when it petered out, we don't even know what to look for. Yeah. So we don't even know what evidence we should be looking for. Like, like Jesse said, with the pathfinder mission, like we, we we're kind of, taking our, our, you know, view of what life should look like and going up there and trying to figure out what we see. But if we don't even all these other pathways that ended, maybe they, they look totally different. You know, maybe they, they look like, uh, I don't know, calcite or something. I don't know. Yeah. And and just who's to know how many pathways, you know, survived and, you know, maybe there are multiple pathways that are, that are still around today. Um, and, you know, it's, these are all fun thought experiments, all right? Um, so, but we'll just, we're not going to know. We're not going to know. It's, <laughs> no. it's, yeah. And we're not going to figure out in this podcast, especially, all right? But here's the other. Here's the other if we drag thing. it out long enough. There's some thought. <laughs> yeah, here we go. There's some thought that some people might think like, well, maybe life came from viruses. Oh, you had, Steve had a question about this earlier. Okay. We're finally up to this now. So life probably didn't come from viruses. And this is actually a really simple explanation of why life probably didn't come from viruses. Viruses need hosts. 
And if you're the origin of life, you're the first thing around and you're a virus and you need a host to live. You got slim pickings. There is nothing. So that's why they don't think. Is life just the virus of the planet? Well, that, that's, that's a we great can't line. live without this that's, host. That's a great line from the Matrix as well. <laughs> oh, is it? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. They they they, they capture Morpheus, uh, Mr. Anderson. No, no, Mr. And- Mr. Anderson. Who's the? Mr. Anderson is the Bad guy. Neo. Oh, yeah, 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 Mr. yeah. Mr. Smith. So Mr. Mr. Smith. Yeah. He captures Morpheus and says how humans are viruses to the planet. Yep. There's a whole talk about that. Um, but chances are vir- uh, life didn't come from viruses. And also viruses are considered to some to be non-living organic crystals. So I don't even think viruses are alive. All That's right. why, you know, you can leave viruses, <clears throat> certain viruses die on surfaces if, if they don't find a host. Some can go in a stasis, mm-hmm. but others, you know, can only survive so long or, or they before finding a host, they die out. That's why you can, you know, leave things out and not worry about them getting you sick. Mm-hmm. Like meat, right? You just leave it out on the counter. That's, that's how it kills, kills all the viruses. Come back to it a few days later, cook it up. That's I, I call it counter cooking. I just leave it out on the counter for a day and then I eat it. That's not. Uh, we are kidding. Please do not do this. Yeah, please. Again, <laughs> that was don't the drink hydrogen peroxide. Salmonella. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so it looks like the, you know, we're looking at the oldest possible fossils, any, the, the oldest possible stuff that was recorded in the rock record looks like it had the size and shape of bacteria all right so all the evidence that we have points to microbial life in the very beginning it wasn't just like boom a dog pops out of the primordial primordial ooze of some some bog somewhere and comes and starts running around now we're looking at like it was is probably like some type some type of microorganism right sometimes a little little tiny creature yeah and, and one of the references we looked up they had a good line like talking people talking about um like the, the the earth was seeded from somewhere else. Like the 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 building blocks of life were coming in from somewhere else. Yeah. And the line was, uh, "We don't think that's true, but even if we did, all it does is push this argument down the line." Exactly. Further. Like it's yeah. just like, okay, well then, where did that come from? And then yeah. where did that come from? And where did that come from? So that that idea is called panspermia, where yeah. you're you're getting yeah organics coming. What's that? life seeding yeah coming from an asteroid or a comet probably a comet because you find you find comets that have signatures of, of amino acids on them or of um, organic material but it's not life it's just the molecular the, structure the building blocks yeah. yeah one amino acid doesn't equal protein gentlemen <laughs> if so, i've learned anything in this podcast that's it yeah that's it so the studies point towards anaerobic microbial beginnings with a fermentative metabolism, fermentation, right? And these early microbes had to then evolve to tolerate oxygen, right? So remember, if there was any oxygen, it was, we talked about the, during the Archean uh, eon, the, the atmosphere neutralizes, and it looks like the, at first the oxygen was coming from photolysis, right? The, the sunlight breaking up the H2O molecule. These things had to learn, evolve. It sounds kind of crazy because we, we need oxygen now for life, but the early life had to evolve to tolerate oxygen. 
All right. I mean, oxygen's tough. Oxygen is what yeah. kills us. Is oxi- oxidized oxidation is is what essentially breaks you down. Breaks me down every day. Every day. It's what gets stains out of your clothes. OxyClean, right? <laughs> yeah. What? How, do, how does fire happen? It's, a, Ox- it's an oxidation. oxidation. Yeah. Oh, I can talk about the fire tetrahedron if you want. Ooh. Going into some health and safety stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it is interesting. So the early life was most likely microscopic, anaerobic, and it was dependent on an external source of nutrition, a.k.a heterotrophic so heterotrophic means that it's finding nutrition it's finding this energy from an outside source autotrophic we have autotrophic cells and that's uh basically you're getting energy from within right but the early life the first life studies point that it was suggested it was heterotrophic and basically had a you know it used fermentation which is kind of kind of crazy the first brewers yeah so, tony first brewers points to that life a uh, uh, likely starting site for life was probably a shallow anoxic marine habitat that was shielded from radiation solar radiation by water mud or maybe even both okay but the crazy thing is also too that doesn't necessarily mean that it started there because we also find sulfur bacteria in hot hydrogen sulfide rich waters of seafloor spreading centers where you get like things like black smokers, yep. um, you get these these whole ecosystems that never seen light before, never seen no. sunlight before. They're completely they just, they evolved like um, under a mile of water, under a mile of water, and some of the stuff uh, the, the water temperature can be over two hundred. I'm sorry, over a hundred degrees Celsius. Um, but then, like a foot away, it's like two. Yeah, <laughs> two they're, degrees they're Celsius. Kinda, it's kind of like if you're out camping. It reminds me of the old. The good old days where we used to go camping out in the uh, in the winter time, gentlemen. Do the uh, <laughs> yeah. wait till it gets about ten degrees out. We go camping. The, the death marches, we, yeah. Death march. We'd be huddled around this campfire. It's kind of warm. It actually it was so cold. It wasn't even warm standing around this campfire. But <laughs> no, but yeah, at that campfire where you know the front of you is on fire, mm-hmm. but then your butt's cold, and then you turn yeah. around for a few minutes just to warm your butt up. Yeah. But anyway, so at these, uh, you know, these areas where you get these, uh, these black smokers, uh, you know, these hydrothermal uh, vents, it tells us that we can even have these like strange, weird settings that can, that could be a location for an initial ecosystem. So it's just crazy how resilient life is. That's the one thing that we keep on coming back to in this podcast, all topic after topic after topic, you know, we always joke around about Jeff Goldblum's quote in Jurassic Park, but it's <laughs> so true. It's probably the one of the best things from Jurassic Park. There's a lot of like, you know, non-science in those movies, but one of the best quotes I really think is, you know, Jeff Goldblum saying life always finds a way. It's just, it's just crazy how this works out. So the critical first step of life for the first self-replicating system was most likely the formation of the RNA molecule. And this is what Jesse was saying a little bit earlier, but this is still a bit, you know, a bit controversial still, but that's probably, you know, most likely the, the, the RNA molecule came about and that's what, that was, that's, that's, we needed that enabled in order to have systems that, that were self-replicating and that's you get like so the earliest life forms we, we group into they're in a group called prokaryotes which are like bacteria so they're these 
you know, single cellular organisms, they, there's no nucleus mm-hmm. within yeah. that, within that structure. So, so very simple life, but you need a way to replicate and RNA sort of makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned this before the early life was heterotrophic and you can kind of think of them as like the hunter gatherers of their time. I like this because, <laughs> you know, we always use that with, with humans, but these bacteria were kind of like hunter gatherers. So now think about this. Um, well, actually we'll, we'll get into that in, in a little bit. Um, then we didn't, the evolution of autotrophic organisms, like organisms that make their own food from sunlight or, uh, or other energy sources, um, that in and of itself was a huge evolutionary step as well. But it looks like the, the first life was, was heterotrophic. And once the autotrophs came about, that could technically be considered the first agricultural revolution, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> Mm, that's like me calling Jack Hills the cradle of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> so think of now, let's go back to these first heterotrophs. Think of them as being marooned on a desert island. You got to get real scrappy and real creative about finding <laughs> food because it's like, here we are, like, this is it. We are like, we're the first life. Like, you know, you're going to, it's, it's going to be really, really hard for this stuff to find food right so be real scrappy to survive and start thinking of like extremophiles these are uh we we put we didn't talk about this term but these are the the type of uh bacteria that can live in these really super inhospitable conditions like inhospitable to us yeah yeah good good point good point yeah yeah um so here's the other crazy thing about bacteria another fun fact about bacteria bacteria has evolved the ability to repair DNA that's been damaged by UV light. So this is how you get like skin cancer is the UV light coming from the sun this high energy light coming off of the sun destroys your DNA, screws up your DNA. And over time, that's what gives you cancer. So it's damaged DNA. Free radicals. Woo. Bacteria can actually repair that damaged DNA. I didn't know that before, huh. before doing this. Yeah. And so that's another line of evidence that this stuff evolved when the earth had basically hardly any any free oxygen in its atmosphere so this stuff had to be able to repair its dna because it's getting pelted from by uv light um all right and then so moving on and so let's move on to the autotrophs your primordial autotrophs could have harnessed energy from a few sources so sunlight uh chemical sources are also uh geothermal sources uh, so we know that uh, sulfur bacteria, these are, uh, you know, you see these, this bacteria uh, uh, actually survives around these. Uh, Hydrothermal uh, vents. Thank you. Thank you. Oz. They, they're able to oxidize hydrogen and sulfide to free the sulfur and sulfate, uh, sulfates without any, any uh, free O2, right? AKA they split H2S, hydrogen sulfide, instead of splitting H2O, water. So now what ends up happening, I think, is if, if your hydrogen sulfide was, was in short supply relative to H2O, we know we got a ton of H2O on Earth, this would result in this active selective pressure to start splitting up the stronger hydrogen oxide oxygen bonds that are in you know, water, H2O, as an alternative energy source. So, But the thing is now you need to get 
chlorophyll, specifically chlorophyll A. We'll get it. There's two different types of chlorophyll, chlorophyll A and chlorophyll B. More like borophyll. Yeah, I was waiting for <laughs> all it. Right, all right. <laughs> so the chlorophyll is needed to split the H2O molecule. So then you got to get the chlorophyll coming about now. Long story short, if you're able to split the H2O molecule instead of the H2S molecule, you can get a 12-fold increase in the amount of biological energy available than with the anaerobic photosynthesis. Boom. Like, they're just like, oh, just use the water. You get more energy out of it. <laughs> so, so what are we doing? Messing with this hydrogen sulfide. Like, what, what is this? This is, this is. Oh, water. Ah. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> So minus the chlorophyll A thing that we just talked about, these bacteria had the characteristics of metabolically advanced bacteria, and they share their traits with both algae and bacteria. Um, so, uh, and interestingly enough, we'll end with this. Uh, well, actually for this part, uh, a more advanced form called protochloron was discovered that contains both chlorophyll A and chlorophyll B. Um, so basically chlorophyll B is a, a, a more advanced without going into too much detail. Chlorophyll B is, is just a, a, a more advanced type of chlorophyll. Uh, that's what you see in like, in like your normal, like plants and flowers. Um, and so that's could be like potentially, you know, even more of a model for a chloroplast ancestor. So it gets into that. So, and, and that kind of brings us up to, to where we are today. So, whew. <laughs> yeah <laughs> life there you there there you have it um so i guess the next topic <laughs> we're still going baby this is the marathon podcast one more thing <laughs> to talk about is we are also asked on this podcast topic to talk about how life could have potentially formed around clay minerals so Clay minerals are really, really weird, right? They form, you're not, uh, clay minerals are, are, are for the most part forming from chemical reactions, uh, from, from uh, uh, chemical weather, right? Uh, breaking, um, so there's a couple different ways you can get chemical, um, I'm sorry, the, the, the clay minerals forming, but there's a, hypoth there's, a, there's a running hypothesis right now. Like we said, there, there, there could be many different pathways for life to start. And one of the hypotheses for, for a pathway of life to start was that life started with clay minerals. So the question was, you know, how do, how do us, uh, you know, what's a, what's a geologist perspective on this? You know, why, how, how could this have happened? You know, that, you know, the, for this potential pathway of life. And so we, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording today, but well, number one, when you're dealing with clays, you're getting a ton of chemical reactions that are being involved with these clays, like just to, just to form them. And just in just being around the clays, they're just, they just kind of tend to harvest or not, not harvest, I should say, just, just, but just be like a great, a great spot where there's each naturally get a lot of chemistry occurring around these clays. But the one thing that we were talking about, the one interesting thing is we were thinking earlier before the podcast started, if you can get these like amino acids and stuff like that, kind of finding their ways into the pore space of the clay, it's a great place to shield itself from the, from the UV light. So, and then also clays also have 
I just thought of this right now, but clays have a lot of water involved as well. So that could be another. They can, yeah. Can yeah, like like those montmorillonites. They have that tetrahedron, octahedron, tetrahedron configuration, <clears throat> and that that octahedron spacing, you know, allows for what's the word? Stretching, fill, filling yeah. out. Like yeah, essentially your clays can swell, shrink swell, shrink swell. Yeah, the old TOT. Yeah. So if you if you have that, there's accommodation space in there for other things. The water, maybe with some of those amino acids, but but that's that's the extent of what I know about the and and that's montmorillonites is the clay that they expect this to have happened in. Which, you know, the conversion of fatty acids that you could get RNA sticking to the clay. It allows, I don't know, within the structure, the, the RNA to, to attach to the clays and then they can absorb additional fatty or lipids, so fatty fats that allow them to then expand and, and, and divide. And and this is totally anecdotal, but if you've ever walked through uh, expanding clay rich soils, it is sticky. You end <laughs> up with you end up with moon boots. That that stuff just you know sticks to each other, sticks to everything, and just you know you end up walking through a just like your boots become twenty pounds each, and it's it's awful. I actually I had that experience this week and I was telling you guys about that, that trail run that I was on. There was a, there was going down part of the race was going downhill and I'm looking at this. I was really tired and I'm like, Oh, this is going downhill is sucks more than going uphill in, in my opinion. <laughs> and I'm looking at this, like uh, I'm, I'm looking at this, this, this red clay and I was going down there and my shoes were actually sticking to it. And I was like, ah, oh, sweet. Thank you. Clay. Like you can <laughs> <the> big time. <laughs> nice. Um, but you know, and then there was another thing we, we were actually talking about this also just before the podcast started as well, before we started recording clays, man, clays are just weird, you know, unless you really, really like, you know, you're, you're an expert in clays and like, this is just what you do for, for your, you know, for your career, for your research path to study clays. They're hard to kind of just grasp, you know, to, to, to really kind of, to figure out they, they're just so strange. And one of the things that we learned looking up about this topic is that, man, you get these like we they call clay crystals. And guys, stop me if I start botching this this explanation. But when these these clay crystals, when they start, they basically kind of reproduce. I guess you could say, would that be the, the good term to say with them? Like, they're, they're, they have like this like lineage almost that they, they they pass down this this lineage. So like, if there's like a clay crystal. And the, as they're, as they're growing and the crystal cracks, then the crystals that form after that inherit that crack in the same spot. And it's really, really kind of strange. So they, yeah, they have a regular internal structure, but if some, somehow that part of that regular internal structure gets damaged, then any new growth of that regular internal structure seems to carry on that characteristic of the imperfection the break yeah, there, whatever you call it there's a there like they, they kind of is the uh, uh, i guess the property of inheritance 
is associated with how these these clay crystals grow. I guess we're this is on a super super minute um, scale, but there were experiments like back in the day, like fifty plus years ago, where chemists were looking at how clays grow and saying, "Oh my goodness!" Like like I said, there's this inheritance property with clays that looks a lot like you know kind of like reproduction or you know something like that. And there 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 was a whole theory on behind like you know, could life be tied with this as well? Like, you know, coming from this, this uh, repro reproductive uh, characteristic of clays and it's really, really some wild stuff there that was kind of, you know, I, I, I we could, we could do a whole podcast on clays yeah, or a three part series. Yeah, we should. <laughs> so, um, you know, to, to answer, answer to basically to wrap this up, because um, to be completely honest, this is like way, way, way out of my comfort zone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> talking yeah. about this. I'm really going out on a limb for this. But, you know, I think that the clays could be a great place. You know, I think the reason that they're uh, a great place to potentially host, you know, uh, an origin of life is because it, it creates a great spot for um, basically this stuff to stick to. All right. Number one, like we said, if you can shield this from the UV light, then you got another, you know, another one up. All right. And so a lot of times if you can get, you know, just, I think, I think also just the nature of clay as well, it's got that platy nature. I think that might also be helpful in blocking out UV light as well. Or, you know, if, plus if you're underwater already or something like that, or then, then, you know, Hey, awesome. You know, then you got the, you know, the extra one up there, but I think it just, and just the fact that the, the chemical reactions are so abundant with clays, and now you also have that water. I don't, you know, I, you you have the water available to bring in other other molecules, move around other molecules. So I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's 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 uh, you know, yeah. Well, well, seriously, thank you to our Patreon, Maddie, for uh, forcing this topic on us. <laughs> for lack of a better no I'm, I'm kidding but seriously this was super interesting i learned so much myself yeah on this you know i kind of learned like <clears throat> primordial ooze and stromatolites and things like you know i knew the 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 thirty thousand foot view of it so this was this was really interesting so patreons keep these sweet questions coming and if you have a well if you want to watch a squirm for an entire hour episode, <laughs> or in this case, hour 37 minutes, um, you too can become a Topaz tiered Patreon member. Also, um, Topaz tiered Patreon members get to uh, give us a topic and uh, you yeah. know, we will spend an entire episode devoted to answering your yearning geology questions that may or may not keep you awake at night, just staring and at the ceiling of your bedroom, just wondering. Uh, hopefully we still have some listeners listening because speaking of Topaz, we have our mineral madness coming soon. We're going to have a field of 64 mineral madness, pick your favorite mineral vote on it. It's going to be epic. So yeah. I'm pretty sure I can say mineral madness without getting sued. Right. I don't yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> one thing we didn't really touch on that, um, patreon michelle just brought up here in the chat is we we sort of did we we skimmed over venus and the evidence of of the biosignature phosphine Ooh, yeah out in the atmosphere of venus yeah and so 
you know, phosphine is one of these, one of these, what we would consider a biosignature because it's a molecular. And we, I think we've talked about this before. We did. We did. I can't remember if it was on an episode or a Patreon extra. um, Yeah. You know, or, or life produces phosphine and you can get it other ways from volcanic emissions or lightning, um, in the atmosphere, but they found <clears throat> the signature of phosphine in the atmosphere. And, and at the quantities they found, you really only find on earth through, um, pro, you know, a, as a biogenic product. So it maybe suggests this. And it's again, one of those ways in which we think about, you know, what do you consider life and, and, and what would you look for? And, and it's, the, these are sort of the things, things we think about is we look for the sort of the things we can see in if we're looking for life in space and and you know the signatures of life and we think about what gets produced on earth versus what gets produced sort of naturally without humans or without life not just humans but any life Mm -hmm. and phosphine is one of those things uh, it'd be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see in, in the next few years when they, as they start looking at this a little more closely. Now, I, yeah. th- I thought I heard something that there was another study that looked at that phosphine thing on Venus, and they did not agree. This other study did not agree with the oh with ah. the, having the phosphine and, Phos- uh, phosphine fight. Yeah. Yep. Also, Michelle, uh, Chris yelled at us for doing too many uh, topics on stuff in outer space, so. <laughs> But now that we have Patreon asking for it, you know, <laughs> anywho. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, the interwebs, www.geologyflannelcast.com, YouTube. Uh, make sure you like us, subscribe to us. And then, you know, you really like us become a Patreon. You can ask us questions like Venus question mark. And, uh, you know, we're contractually obliged to at least talk about it. <laughs> also, check out uh, the merch section on geologyflannelcast.com yeah. if you want to just do a little help us out in the one-time, one-time uh, you know, support of the podcast. You got T-shirts up on there, coffee mugs. Uh, uh, supposedly, the coffee mugs may or may not make your coffee taste at least 20% better. So uh, that, that seems like, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the study show, allegedly, the study show, it does improve your uh, coffee taste by 20%. Okay. And I have my nice green St. Patty's Day flannel cast t-shirt over here to mm-hmm. demonstrate. So yeah, check us out. Yeah, so all right, guys, that wraps it up for that one. Um, cool. Thanks so much for uh, for listening, guys. Love you guys. And we will catch you next week. Oh, action pack episode next week. Ooh. We got the captain coming on. Man, friend of, the, friend of the podcast. We're yeah, got this one. This is this is this. We're going to little... talk about uh, geologic women in. No, women, women in geology. <laughs> over history yes which is timely for women's history month which is march yes so anyways gotta got it um we're excited to to talk to kelly again she hasn't been on the podcast in about a year or so so get her back on the podcast see what she's up to so excited to talk to her again so anyways that's what we got planned for next week love you guys 
come back next week. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys later. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thanks for stopping. Bye. <laughs>